There's a great quote about songwriting from Vince Gill. It goes, when you ask a songwriter his favorite song, he always says, the next one. And that holds true, I think, for this month's guest on Write You a Song. Hey, I'm Tom Maley, and thank you for listening to this podcast. It's a production of Bonneville Communications, and a big thanks to Songwriter City for helping set up this month's interview. Songwriter City, by the way, can bring many of these songwriters that we've had on this very show to your corporate event. Think about it. Them all sitting around in a guitar pool-style situation performing their biggest hits for your guests. Sounds outstanding. It's easier to do than you think, too. Go to songwritercity.com. Now, like several of our guests, Neil Thrasher is another longtime Nashville songwriter. He got his start in the mid-90s as part of a duo with Kelly Shiver called Thrasher Shiver. And while the act held promise, they had a song reach the top 40. And they sang a little backup for a pretty big star from the 90s that you'll hear about in just a minute. It never really took off uh, because, as Neil says, he became more and more focused on songwriting. Well, fast forward to now, 2020, and Neil has been writing hit songs for a quarter of a century for the likes of Rascal Flatts, Reba, and Jason Aldean. But he's not about to take it easy. In fact, kind of paraphrasing that Vince Gill quote, Neil thinks some of his best writing has still yet to be heard. Neil Thrasher, thank you for joining us today on Write You a Song. Man, thanks for having me. Um, uh, My pleasure. I was uh, just reading to somebody the list of songs that you've written that have become huge hits, and the list is so long, I actually had to take a breath. Which... <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm trying to make it longer. <laughs> you've done so, so well, and I want to get into uh, all of these songs that you've written. Some of them are just so iconic for contemporary country music, but I remember you. I've been uh, at the, the radio station where we're recording this, KNCI in Sacramento. My partner and I have uh, been here doing mornings for 27 years, and we remember when uh, a little duo called uh, Thrasher Shiver came through back in the mid-1990s, and we were pretty impressed by, by you guys then, and it didn't really quite take off the, the way you wanted it to, but you actually had a, a, a career first as, uh, as, as, as one half of a duo. I did, and the, actually, the reason I moved to town. I mean, I think I think probably ninety five percent of the guys that moved to town moved. Oh, the writers that wound up writing songs moved to town to be an artist, and yep. I did the same thing. And uh, everything just kind of evolved into writing, you know, in, in pursuit of my artist career. And um, and like you said, in ninety four, ninety five. Me and Kelly Shiver put the duo together with under the tutelage of Bob Doyle, who of course manages Garth Brooks and all that, and he he put us together and and uh, we went after it, and we were writing a lot of songs at the time too, and uh, we wrote about half the songs on our first record, and uh, we're doing radio tour and things like that, and uh, doing the things that new artists do, and uh in the meantime back in nashville my songs started getting recorded by other artists by bigger artists and and um it was kind of a neat thing to be going on while i was out in the road and um eventually it just it just kind of started snowballing and that was kind of when i decided after about four years of doing the artist thing i finally just decided what would happen you know if i devoted all my time to songwriting and uh, that's what I did. The decision I made. I came off the road and just devoted all my time to song- writing songs, and um, uh, the rest was history, I guess. Did you ever second guess that decision? Negative. <laughs> Never. No, I don't. I still get to perform. 
you know i still get to yeah. do, do do live shows and what and i still get to sing and all that but i'm just uh, uh i never second guess it i just i know that that's i believe that that's where god led me to do and i and and i just followed my heart on that i really did i wouldn't and and then again i wouldn't um i would i would be lying if i said i missed the stage like that and 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 don't think about every now every now and then don't think about what might have been as an artist but uh i'm so thankful that it turned out the way it did and and um um i'm i don't regret any of it well because the uh, the other songwriters that that i've talked with i mean all of them can sing and it, but you watching your videos you have an amazing voice. And then I went back and listened to some of the, the Thrasher Shiver stuff. And I mean, the, the harmonies on your song, Be Honest, which I think charted. I think that was a top 40. Um, yep. Your vocals are like really, really good. Be honest. Is this where you want to be? Be honest. Are you still in love with me? Look deep in your heart Then tell me what you see Be honest Be honest with me Shane McAnally also had, has a great voice And his first album was like, holy cow, this guy can yeah, sing Yeah, he's a really good singer Jeffrey um, Steele's a great singer The list goes yeah. on and on and on So, but for, and I guess that's just I think some people wonder Why would you want to be behind the scenes When you could be out front? It's just a different. It's a different road to hoe. Mm-hmm. The the uh, the uh, the path it takes to get there. Both both paths are are difficult, and you have to you have to pick one or the other sometimes. And I just I think at that stage in my life, uh, I just when the artist thing started, I had we had our first daughter. She was one years old, and I'm on the road doing radio tour, and uh, and and it really felt more like an out to mm-hmm. me. To, to be to have some success at songwriting and and making the decision to come off the road and do that it was an out for me and and uh i just at that stage of my life i just didn't desire it anymore i didn't desire the 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 artist life anymore and you come from a musical family so you your, your dad was part of a uh, uh the the thrasher brothers uh gospel yeah. act Yep, my father sang gospel music his whole life since he was a little boy, all the way up until she. I was in college. Until I was in college, I mean, he he. That's what they did, and uh, and I was on the road with him when I was a little fella. I've been on buses and in bunks since I was a little, you know, old enough to talk. So I I I know what that was like mm-hmm. for a long time, and uh, and it wasn't really anything that I had missed, but. Uh, I think dad was like, uh, I don't know how he felt about me doing the artist thing. I think he always wanted me to, uh, but, um, he just, I just saw how hard it was on him. And that was another factor. I saw how hard it was on just the road life period, being gone all the time and everything. And, uh, uh, once again, it just the songwriting thing, and I wouldn't be writing songs today if it wasn't for my wife. I probably would still be doing the artist thing to this day if I hadn't met my wife. She's the one that encouraged me to write songs. Is she also the one that inspired you to write songs? Absolutely. She was working for uh, 
uh, Major Bob Music. She actually was running Major Bob Music when I met her. Um, and that's uh, Bob Doyle again. So Garth Brooks was a writer there. And she was running that whole uh, organization as far as the publishing side goes. And um, um, when I met her, and how I met her is a cool story because I probably would have never met her if it weren't for Garth Brooks. We were I was singing with a group. This is before Thrasher Shiver. I was singing with another group, and we were in Beaumont, Texas, doing a benefit for Bob Hope High School, and Garth Brooks was on the show, and he was – I think the dance had just come out, and he was working on his second record on the No Fences record. Uh-huh. Anyway, we the, we were do we were on the same bill as he was. He was closing the night, but uh, earlier that afternoon we were doing sound check, and and Bob Dole and Garth were in the uh, uh, out front, and they heard us do our sound check, and Garth asked us to sing on the No Fences record, and of course we said, well, heck yeah! So we went <laughs> and sang on the on the Cut Wolves on the No Fences record. And that's how I met my wife. Did uh, did Garth cut any of your songs ever? I've, I've never had a Garth cut and wrote <laughs> it Major Bob forever. And I never, I tried, I tried, but I never did get one. So you got into songwriting late 90s, early 2000s. How long before you, you had your first real taste of success? I know that Diamond Rio cut one of your songs in like 96 or, or, or 97. Um, yep. That's what I get for loving you. Um, yeah, it was my first hit. That's what I get for loving you. Heaven's right here in my hands. A dream that is real and a heart that beats true. That's what I get for loving you. I was writing with Kent Blasey, like, um, that was one of, you know, the first people that my wife set me up with. And uh, he and I wrote that song while I was and while I was on the road doing radio tour with Thrasher Shiver, that song went to number two in 96. Mm. And sometimes that would be all that the uh, some of the uh, DJs wanted to talk about when we got there. We'd talk a little bit about Thrasher Shiver and I tour and then they then they'd bring up the Diamond Rio hit. <laughs> And that's really uh, how the I got my first taste of of success in in the writing uh, part of this. But it was funny. We were on the road. I think I was in Steubenville, Ohio, one time, and I got a phone call from my wife, and she was crying and crying. And I said, "What is wrong?" And she goes, "We just got our first check in the mail for that's what I get for loving you." <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was like we were rich and we really weren't because it, you know it was just like it just it helped out a lot it got us out of debt you know <laughs> the way that you could I mean the sound of her voice were you like oh crap is it that big or is it that small <laughs> I know. yeah it was it was great I'll never forget that that is so cool so then what was the next hit that you got on the radio. Well, uh, let's see. We had a few years pass, um, and then in 1999, uh, me and a buddy of mine, Michael Delaney, who re- I've written a lot of stuff with, mm-hmm. we had uh, "What Do You Say for Reba." And that song and, has a very interesting backstory. Where did the inspiration for that come from? It actually came from sitting at the intersection 
like the first verse says, and looking over, I can I, I, I can tell you where the intersection is too in Nashville when I was sitting there and, and looking over at that at those uh, adult bookstores and all the X's in the windows that are lit up and all that stuff. That's where the, the beginning of that came from. Mm-hmm. Did you know yeah. when you were sitting there that this no. could be a song idea? No, I just, it was the start of a song. Oh, really? You know, it, it was just, it was a snippet and you, and you let it, you kind of, you take it into a writing appointment and see where it goes. That's how it really, that's right. That's how they really happen. You know, we keep ideas and titles typed down and, and, and written down constantly but that's how that that's how that song gets started stuck at a red light outside an adult bookstore your son said daddy what are all those x's for as the light turned green he changed the subject fast started talking about football as they drove right past so what do you say And, and you and Michael have written a lot together, and a lot of the songwriters that, that uh, I've talked with, um, they have people that they co-write fairly frequently with, but they also bounce around, you know, and, and write with different people. But it sounds, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that um, you kind of have a small uh, selection of people you write with. Is that... Well, I've, I've written, I've branched out and written with quite a few people, but the majority of my success is a small handful of guys. Michael Delaney sure. being one of them. Michael Delaney, Wendell Mowgli, right? Um, and Tony is it, Martin? Is it just know? because you guys click like like friends? Just you know that sometimes you just go together. You get each other's jokes, read each other's minds. It is. It, it is. It is. And you you find those guys that you click with early on, and and writers hope and pray that they find those guys early on that they can work with and uh, they're that are easy to work with that that uh complement what you bring to the table and that was going to be my next work. question do you what in what facets do you complement say michael and and vice versa it works both ways man it's like it's melodic and lyric mm. both ways uh for instance on flyover states michael brought in that t- he brought in that idea and he actually had some of those chord changes when he brought it in and he had run that He'd run flyover states by four or five different other writers, and they didn't. He said that they didn't. They didn't jump on it. And when he when he brought it in to me, I'm like, oh, Lord, man, we can freaking paint a landscape with this song. Let's try that. So off we went. A couple guys in first class on a flight from New York to Los Angeles, kind of making small talk, killing time, flirting with the flight attendants. Thirty thousand feet above to be Oklahoma. Just a bunch of square cornfields and wheat farms, man. It all looks the same. Miles and miles of back roads and highways connecting little towns with funny names. Who'd wanna live down there in the middle of nowhere? They've never drove through Indiana. That seed busted his ass for you and me. 
And you guys said that uh, when you heard the final recording of Flyover States that Jason Aldean did, he nailed it. And you kind of talked a little bit about the apprehension that you sometimes have as a songwriter when you listen to a song that you wrote maybe four, five, six months ago, and you had one idea in your head, and then the producer and the singer get together, or the band or whatever, and it comes out, and, and there's always a little bit of trepidation as to how they interpret it. Talk a little bit more about that. <laughs> I've, uh, that I used to have I used to worry about that earlier on in my career. I, I don't so much anymore. Um, I guess it's probably because we've been real fortunate with the cuts that we've gotten and the singles that we've had because they've always I've never been let down with the reproduction of one of my songs. I've never been let down with it. Mm-hmm. And Al Dean and the Flats and everybody that's ever done anything of mine has always taken it to the next level. They always have. And and so I've never been it's never been a worry of mine. I kinda of, that kinda of went away early on. And not that it really matters, but I tr- and here again, I try to, when I demo my songs, I try to put them in the most best representative form as I can mm-hmm. after we write them. And I try to do them like I'm doing a record when I do my demos, like I'm doing them for me. So I put a lot, I put a little bit more time and effort into them. And, and I think that may help a little bit. If I give them a better template to follow, then that's cool. That's that's gonna. I think it's. I think it does the song justice and the record justice. Well, and there are uh, artists who have recorded um, multiple songs of yours. Aldine's one of them. Tattoos on this town, flyover states, uh, review town. Am I leaving any out? Night train, night train, um, and then Rascal Flats. You've written a ton, and is part of that kind of like what we were talking about earlier with a, a co-writer? Are there certain singers that just kind of get you in your songwriting yes. style, but more than others? I think there's a lot of artists out there that are fans of certain writers and certain writers' voices. And you'll hear that from a lot of them. Um, I've always related well. Of course, I'm really good friends with Gary Vox, the lead singer for the Flats. And he and I have always, you know, he's always related to my phrasing and the way I do things and the way I write and all that stuff. And, and we've written some cool stuff together. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, Jason's like, our ranges are completely night and day. Mm-hmm. I'm a high singer, you know, and I and I cut everything in my key on the demos. But he he relates to him, and he knows how to drop that key to fit him. And he lo- and he likes where the notes go, and he loves where the phrasing. So he's always he's always been, uh, uh, I guess you could say, a fan of the way I I, I present my songs. And uh, I've been very fortunate with him. Aldine, maybe your lyrics appeal to him because the songs that he's recorded of yours are kind of all small town, rural, kind of in defense of or in celebration of. 
But with Rascal Flats, it's more about uh, there's a lot of nostalgia and and a lot of yeah. s- sort of romance and no doubt about that. Where did Fast Cars and Freedom come from? That is such a cool phrase. I love. Th- yeah. Where did that phrase come from? And then how did the song come about? That's one of the that's one of the few songs, probably one of like one of like three songs in my whole catalog throughout my whole career. That's one of three songs that was completely finished without a title. And we wrote that song. Actually, the song was started by Wendell Mobley with a, a guitar riff. That that guitar riff at the beginning, the beginning of the song, he played that for me over the phone one time. And I was like, I was like, man, that sounds, that sounds like something Keith Urban would play. Anyway, we had a writing appointment with Gary, and, and uh, he broke that out. We started writing the song and never had a title. told Gary he's like man just title it whatever you're gonna whatever you want to title it so Gary wound up titling it oh really so we just told Gary it's like man since 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 we wrote it with you you know and, and y'all are thinking about cutting it man y'all just to just title it whatever you want <laughs> we don't we don't have a title we finished the whole song without a title and we've done that like three times when you do something like that it's it's a little out of the ordinary is there any part of you that kind of worries how it might be perceived or are you like yeah this is different nobody's done this this is going to stand out no i don't ever think about stuff like that anymore we don't uh we i used to think about rules and we can't do this and can't do that and i mean there's certain things you can't say but you know no i just i love i love like the freedom in the right in the process like that i love the the freestyle writing like that and just seeing where it goes and seeing what happens Sometimes a title just shows up, you know, and presents itself in the middle of the song somewhere while you're writing a story. Mm -hmm. How often do you like you're in the middle of a write and then, bam, like the real gist of the song hits you and then you either double back and start over or you figure out how to kind of manipulate it and, and work it around, you know, that thing that you just kind of came up with? Yeah. No, it's you're always editing. You're constantly editing and going back, and, and it's all about cracking the code of the song. You know when you've cracked the code on the song and when that's the direction it needs to go. And uh, I, early on in my career, 
I would turn in songs thinking they're done and really and truly in the back of my head, knowing they're not done. I just wanted to turn the song in. I wanted to be done with it, you know, and I wouldn't put a lot of effort into making it the best it could be. Hmm. And I learned that early on, but there's always, we're always editing and stopping. And I'm not one of these writers that tries to get in two or three songs a day just to get a song in and say whatever. And I actually just, I'm, I'm really, I'm really anal about making it the best it can be. How do you know when to walk away from something that isn't working? <laughs> that's a, that's another hard part. You just, you got to show up and you got to stick it out. That's just, that's all you can do. I mean, I've, you, I've had days when I show up and it's, I'm like, this is not going good. And this is, I'm talking about like with new people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is not going good. You'll be there sitting there for three hours and there's nothing, but you stick it out. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden something happens or somebody says something that triggers something and off you go. So you have to, you have to, you have to trudge through all of the mud and all of the, the dullness and, and that, that comes with writing appointments. Sometimes you have to stick it out and sometimes they don't go anywhere and it's been a full day of nothing. And that, that's happened a lot. Okay. And that's it, but it's just part of it. You gotta, you can't, you can't think that you can't write anymore and you can't think that it's over and that this job sucks and all that. You can't, you just gotta, (laughs) it's just part of the job. It just, it really is. Is that some- I've had I've had those days with guys I've had a lot of success with. Mm-hmm. Is that something that um, y- did you know that early on, or would you beat yourself up if you couldn't come up with something on a on a given day when you were when you were younger? I used to beat myself up when I was younger. Absolutely, I think every writer does. Every writer goes through they beat themselves up. I think every serious writer does. Anybody that wants to write something good and. And I also went through what every young writer goes through. Uh, of, I, I think I've you've written. A, let's say you've written a great song a week ago, or the or the day the previous day, and you go in the next day trying to beat that song. And if you have mm. that kind of attitude, you, you'll drive yourself insane. Try try if you're trying to beat the last song you wrote, you'll drive yourself crazy. Can you? Because all- it ain't gonna happen. Can you also drive yourself crazy by, let's say you write a, a, you know it's a great song and somebody cuts it, but for whatever reason it doesn't get released. Maybe it gets buried on an album somewhere and it never really sees the daylight that that you thought that it should. Does does that ever happen? How much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> we can we can go. I can go back to all the Rascal Flat records and all the Jason Aldean records and I can go down and as thankful as I am for the for all the songs that they they've released, there there is ten times as many hits that I've had. There's ten times that many songs that I wish people could have heard. Give me uh one example for, for each artist and then we'll we'll play a clip. Uh, uh Jason let's just say Jason's last record. Um uh, a song on there called uh, "Better at Being Who I Am." Mm-hmm. To, to, to me, the song that 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 to me is a song that deserves to be heard. Well, you never liked it much, but I broke out these old boots again. Gonna jump in that old truck, head down to the bar, and hang out with an old friend. Been a while since I fired up a cigarette and got drunk on some draft beer. 
going tonight There's a good chance you won't want me back here I tried to be what you were looking for But I can't do that Carrie Underwood song that me and Wendell and Steve McEwen wrote called I Know You Want that never was released. Um, it's been covered by, oh, shoot, Carrie did it. The Flats have cut it. Um, Kelly Clarkson, has she's done it in her show live, mm. but it's never been it's never been put out for the world to hear. I wish you were where you're supposed to be, close to me. necessarily up to certainly not up to the writer but it's also not necessarily up to the artist either what songs get released yeah not every time no um but at the same time do you and i know we're in a different era now where quote unquote albums don't matter i feel like they still do and i think there's still is i hope there's a place for albums forever and ever but when you have really so- strong songs like you're talking about that don't get released you just make that whole album better though is that i mean is is that a way to kind of placate yourself to think that way uh, yeah it, it yes especially especially early on it did i mean album cuts early on when when jason and the flats and and carrie underwood and all them were selling four and five million albums every time they put one out you know it was those were it was nice to have multiple cuts on there that was that was the, those were the those were the glory days right um I'm I'm starting to notice a lot of artists now they're they're just kind of cutting for singles and they're 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 not really doing full albums. I mean Jason Aldean still does full albums. Uh, I don't think the Flats are doing an album. We can get that's a that's a whole another subject though. I don't know. I probably got off of it for you there, but no. But that has been touched on before, and it is definitely a concern for songwriters going forward. Absolutely, it's a huge concern. Huge. We lost it. We, we songwriters have lost a lot of income uh, 
with the decline of album sales. Big thumb. I mean, it's a huge chunk. It doesn't, it doesn't translate over to the streaming industry for songwriters anyway. Has anybody figured out, I don't know, a, a possible solution that, that you think might work? Or is it as well, bleak? Because, I, mean, I mean, it sounds pretty bleak. NSAI has worked their butts off for songwriters in that regard. And, and it's all pending still. Uh, uh, the outcome of that and and the percentage of streaming that we'll be able to partake in in the future it's still pending and it's uh i don't know what what the outcome's going to be mm-hmm. i have no idea we're all just shooting for singles now you know it, you have to get them cut first but I mean, we're still trying to get cuts and but we all just pray for singles now so does that affect your songwriting does that affect your mindset when you go in uh, it did early on, uh, like early on, I'm saying like a few years ago when it started, when it was a new problem, um, but not anymore. I'm, I'm rejuvenated and, and I'm writing more than I have ever in my career right now. I went, I went from actually, I went from being from this bitter spot to wanting to, you know, wanting to quit, wanting to like, you know what? We've had a good career, and I was ready to slow it down and hang it up. And I was like, one day, I was like, "What? I'm not going to do that. I can still sing. I can still think. I can still. I still got a brain. I'm. I'm going to actually go after this harder. And I've signed a new deal with Spirit Music here in Nashville, and I'm ready to rock, man. I'm. We're rocking and rolling right now. If you don't mind, let me uh, throw some titles out there, some of your songs, and I want to kind of get the backstory a little bit, starting with uh, Rascal Flatts, Take Me There, which was co-written by some dude named Kenny. Um, yeah. Who, why did he write that for Rascal Flatts or allow them to, to do it when that song is, is great? He could have done it. <laughs> well, I was that song started, I was in bed one night, and uh, I heard my phone buzzing on the nightstand, and it said block call, and... Uh, I knew I better answer it because, you know, there's only when you have a block to call as a songwriter, you better pick it up because it's probably an artist. Okay. And uh, so I answered it and he goes, hey, man, I, I got an idea for a song. I got the I got the uh, I got the first line and I think the title. And he told me the first line. There's a place in your heart. Nobody's been. Take me there. And I was and I was like, oh, wow, man. So I said, me and Wendell, we'll see you tomorrow or whatever, you know. And so anyway, we wound up getting together the three of us and we wrote that song and by the time we got everything done and got it demoed and what kenny failed to say was he was just about done with his record he already finished his record <laughs> and i got it i got it all demoed up and it's all nice and everything and kenny was done with his record and i said freak i'm gonna i'm gonna pitch this to dan huff and the guys i'm gonna pitch it to gary i'm gonna send it to gary and i did and they wound up cutting it man it was the first thing off that album there's a place in your heart nobody's been. Take me there. Things nobody knows, not even your friends. Take me there. Tell me about your mama, your daddy, your hometown.
did write a song for Kenny that is like just a, such a great song for I think any dad with a daughter who's had to you know see them off and uh, yeah and it's called uh, there goes my life tell me about that how did that come because you you're, you have three daughters I have two daughters two daughters okay yep was that, that was actually a, that's actually an idea that Wendell Mobley had and uh, he brought it up one day when we were, I was out over at his house and we were writing and he he brought it up one day and I wrote I wrote it down. I wrote There Goes My Life, just the title part down in an old notebook. And it sat in that notebook and I remember it sat in that notebook for over a year, but throughout that whole year I, I remember when I would flip through that notebook, I would see that thing, that title sitting there, There Goes My Life. I just sit there and then one day he and I jumped on it and uh he had he had some lines that he had jotted down to and uh Anyway, that song just kind of wrote itself once we jumped on it, and and, and it evolved from Wendell, from something he had he, he had had written down for a long time as well. But we knew when it when it when we wrote it that it was like, hmm, man, we had done something here. <laughs> Couple years of up all night and a few thousand diapers later, that mistake he thought he made. Covers up the refrigerator, oh yeah He loves that little girl Mama's waiting to tuck her in As she fumbles up those stairs She smiles back at him Dragging that teddy bear sleep tight Blue eyes and mountain curls he smiles There goes my life There goes my future My everything I love you Daddy, good night There goes my life She had that Honda loaded down With Abercrombie Clothes and 15 pairs of shoes on his American Express. He checked the old slam the hood, said you're good to go. She hugged them both and headed off to the West Coast. And he cried. There goes my life There goes my future My everything I love you Baby, goodbye There's something with your songwriting You you seem to have your own style of songwriting And, you know, country music is... uh, for better or worse, there are a lot of trends that kind of come and go. There are some of the writers that, that I've spoken with, they kind of fall into the trends, or they can go and, and they can write kind of trendy stuff, and then they kind of go back to traditional. But you just kind of do what you do. Is that conscious or unconscious? Does that make sense? It's, no, it does make sense. It's it, it's it's both, actually. Um, early on, we wrote what we felt. 
I wrote what I felt as if I was writing it for me. And then I went through a phase of seeing country music kind of change and we try to change with it. And, and I, I saw my success start to drop off cause I was trying to adapt instead of sticking to what I was doing best. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of went full circle. I kind of, I went through that little period and then finally said, Nope, I got to go back to doing what the way I do it. And as soon as I started going back to doing it the way I do it, I started getting more cuts again. It started picking back up. So that's also a good piece of advice for, for, for young writers. Stick to what you do and don't follow, don't, don't worry about following trends because it's a, this business is, a, is, is, is cyclical and it'll, it'll all come, it all comes back around again. So, but you, you know what I'm saying when I said Absolutely. it's kind of, it's kind of both. It's kind of like just the way you handle yourself, the way you comport yourself. You just be yourself. Quit trying to don't try and be like that group over there, so you fit in with them or that group yeah. over there. Just be you. You can't. It's it's you can't try to you can't try to be something you're not for sure. And then the ASCAP 2012 Song of the Year, Randy Hauser's "How Country Feels." I love that opening line. You were raised on an asphalt farm. Mm-hmm. Did that come about in the writing process, or was that something that you thought up ahead of time and? Thought, no, oh, this no might be that's good. something. That, that, that's something that happened in the room. The, act, the song actually started with the guitar riff. That whole thing. That's just how the day started. Was with that riff right there. And and I don't even remember who said. You know, she. You were raised on an asphalt farm. I don't even remember who came up with that. It's just like lines started coming out to that riff, and that's how that song started. That riff is almost uh, ACDC inspired. Yeah, same feel. You were raised on an asphalt farm. Ain't never heard a rooster crow. Never walked barefoot by a river. Felt the mud up between your toes. You never rolled in the hay. You never thrown it in four wheels. Climb up on in here, girl. Let me show you how country feels. Put your hair down, hair down. Get you some of this laid on back. Kick your shoes off, kick them off. Get you some of this slow down fast. I'll take you up and down these hollers and hills. Let me show you how country feels. What is? Are you working on something now? Do you have something now that maybe we'll look up a year from now and 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 go, wow, that's a great song. Neil Thrasher wrote that. I've got a few. We've got uh, we just got a couple of Tim McGraw cuts, and I've never had a Tim McGraw cut until in the past year. One's called Cheryl Crow, and one's called uh, Hold 'Em While You Got 'Em. And uh, but uh, as far as my new deal goes, I've written a couple of new songs that are brand spanking new that I'm really proud of that uh, we just demoed. And I haven't they haven't been cut yet, but they're on holes. Well, we'll wrap this up, and I can't thank you enough for for taking time today. I just want to kind of leave on this thought. You have been at this for 25, 30 years, and just hearing in your voice, like right there, I just finally got a couple of songs cut by Tim McGraw. This is still new and exciting to you. You admitted that you kind of went through a a, a down period, and but I love hearing that excitement in your voice. You are so far along in your career, and yet this is still driving you. Yeah, it still feels new. If it, you know what, it, it feels new again. It, it's it's a, it's kind of like a it's a new new. 
It is. I've gone through ups and downs, and right now it feels like, man, I feel like I'm starting again. It feels like a, a new beginning. There's no finish line for you right now. No, I'm not going to put a cap on it. Well, country music needs you, so keep <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> keep going as long as you want. Uh, I'm going as long as I got my brain and I can still think and, I, and it's making sense. Let me show you. <laughs> And that will do it for this month's edition of Write You a Song. Thanks again to Neil Thrasher for joining us, and thank you to Songwriter City for helping set this up again. If you would like to bring out some of these songwriters and have them perform their hits acoustically for your audience, it's easy to do. Go to songwritercity.com. They can set it up anywhere in the country. Songwritercity.com. And don't miss next month's Write You a Song. It's going to be a bit different in that we're going to be talking with a songwriter who's much more a part of the Texas country music Americana scene than his contemporary country, although he's trying to make a name for himself in Nashville, too. He's country, influenced by a little bit of jazz, and a friend of mine described his storytelling style as poetry in a jean jacket. I went down to Beaumont, Bone angels fly. Something in the air down there makes me afraid to die. I looked across the channel I couldn't take you without you His name is Drew Kennedy and he is with us next month on Write You a Song. Passing through the midnight With a dog on my ears Trying to beat the morning Lost behind the wheel Maybe after sunrise, wait another day, I'd be okay. I would be okay. Cause they've got stars in California, walking down the street. Dancing on the boulevard in their golden satin sheets Busking on the corner for change, for tips, and for me Through life's cruises, rattle.